Church family, today I am uh, excited to share with you a portion of scripture that has been, uh, I, I believe, one of the most formative in my life, especially as it relates to putting up with you people. And you putting up with me, people. Amen. Now, I've, I have a list of names and an airing of grievances that I'm going to go through over the next 45 minutes, and then we'll get to the text. Maybe we'll skip that part. Listen, uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question I already know the answer to. Uh, over the last year and a half, have you discovered things about people in your community, in your, in your family, in your, in your circle of friends, in your church family, uh, that you uh, were disappointed to discover about them? Have, has, has something happened over the last year and a half? Has, any, has this been any of your experience where you have discovered something about the people that you're in community with that made you frustrated, angry, disappointed, sad, confused, whatever, right? Is that, is that happening? Okay, so, so here we have this question. What are we, if, if you're a Jesus follower, there's this question of what am I supposed to do in that situation? How do, I, how do I live through this? I mean, I, I, I think most of us have a general sense that canceling the other person is not the Jesus answer. So what do we do? And that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. But before we get into the text today, I have a couple of announcements to make. Announcements, everybody's favorite part of the service, right? I'm going to make them exciting. Uh, if you guys would please get, get your hands out and on the back of the seat in front of you, would please do a drum roll. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Okay. It's really not that exciting. Okay, here's the deal. <laughs> uh, actually, well, uh, some of them are. Uh, first off, and this one is really super cool, huge thanks to Kendall and the team for leading us today. Uh, our worship and arts pastor, Danny Hunkin, is on sabbatical, and so he's out uh, gallivanting around wherever he is. In fact, I know that what he, he had planned to do last week uh, was go to England and go on pilgrimage to uh, the place of his uh, great, something like great-great-great-grandfather's, uh, where the name Hunkin comes from. He was going to go on a pilgrimage, connect with some pastors over there. And literally, uh, I talked to him on Monday night, and uh, the UK still had a mandatory quarantine where if you're flying from America, uh, you had to like stay put for 10 days or something like that. And so uh, he was supposed to fly out Monday, I talked to, or he was supposed to fly out Tuesday, and then Wednesday, last week, they lifted the quarantine. And so for those of you that have been praying for Danny, uh, he is going to be able to go. I think he's leaving tomorrow. And so please be praying for Danny this week. Join me in praying for him as he gets some rest and also goes on this pilgrimage. Uh, but the team today, uh, Danny has been leading and training, and so we are so blessed to have amazing uh, uh, folks in our church family that are ministering to us, leading us in worship each week. Huge thanks to them. Also, a cool story uh, as part of our Build 100 vision. And if you'd like to know more about our Build 100 vision, you can check out one of the booklets out in the lobby. But as part of our Build 100 vision, we believe God has called us. One of the things He's called us to do is build or rebuild 100 homes uh, in our community with Habitat for Humanity so that uh, our neighbors have a safe space to live. And uh, we're committed to that. We had raised the funds last year. The Rona hit. We had to press pause due to uh, regulations with the city of Phoenix and with Habitat. And uh, all that's been uh, lifted. And literally, as of last week, we have begun to do projects uh, in the community, roof repair, plumbing repair, electrical repair, overhauling, um, 
uh, somebody, uh, their, their HVAC system in their house so that they have, again, a safe space to live. And that's all in, in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. In fact, I think it was two weeks ago, we asked y'all to pray that folks within our church family would uh, step up to be site leaders. Uh, so to, to lead the teams as they're on the ground. Uh, we were praying for five. Uh, the Lord provided six. And so huge thanks to those of you who stepped up and are doing training with Habitat for Humanity. Uh, you guys are going to be, yep, it's awesome. Y'all will be hearing a lot more uh, as these things uh, begin rolling down the pike. So um, as, the, as the weather cools, we'll have a lot more opportunities uh, to serve uh, within uh, the Palomino community. And so stay tuned for more information on that. Probably, frankly, we're, we're still working out probably end of September, early October is when you'll see those. And then it'll be like a machine where uh, there's just all sorts of opportunities to uh, get some dirt under your fingernails and serve our community in that way. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Habitat for Humanity projects or you'd like to serve in a unique way, especially if you're in the trades, in the back of the seat in front of you is a comment card. Fill that out. Just put on there, interested in Habitat and uh, drop it in the metal boxes on your way out uh, this morning. Um, ne- uh, hey, <laughs> did you know that summer is almost over? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. PV School District is kicking off, I think, is it next week? Uh, Deer Valley kicked off uh, this week, um, and so uh, the weather's going to start turning just r- any time now, Right? So uh, we have uh, on, on um, August 13th, let me see if I can pull it up here, August 13th, that's a week from this upcoming Friday, uh, we have our end of summer splash, and so we are getting, we're going to fill the campus with uh, water slides, we'll have hot dog soda for you, so come on out, um, uh, it's for all ages, and uh, if you are a grown-up and you would like to go down one of the slides, that's awesome. I challenge you to a race on the dually slide, okay? I want you to know that. So come on out on the 13th, and we will, as a church family, uh, celebrate the end of 100-degree-plus weather on August 13th. After that date, there will be no more 100-degree-plus weather. So I'm told. All right, let's get into it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read it out loud, and then we're going to uh, look at it. And again, I want, you to, I want you to think about the people you don't like. I want you to think about the people in your community, in your family, in your church, who have, who, whose opinions or convictions or preferences or prejudices just, just, okay? And I want you to hear these words. And you're going to find out in a moment why this has been so formative in my life. Because I am quick to behavior. You ready for this? Here we go. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also will not be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers themselves to be something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. Let each person examine their own work, And then they can take pride in themselves alone and not compare themselves with someone else. 
This is the word of the Lord. Verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6 has been, for me, the northern star. It's, it's, it's the compass. It's the way in which I understand how it is that I'm called to navigate my relationships, especially with people who are just wrong and people who are different than me and people who sometimes exhibit sinful behavior or, as the text says, wrongdoing. I'm to carry their burdens with them. So let's go through the text together. I, I, I truly believe, for those, of, for those of us that are striving to follow after Jesus, I truly believe that this is a formative text so, so applicable to today. Because we live in a cultural moment, don't we, where if anyone is different than me, if anyone disagrees with me, and if, if anyone has an opposing view to my views, what's the default behavior that we're exhibiting as a culture towards them? We're canceling them. What's that? We're rejecting them. What else do we do? S say it again. I, sorry, I can't hear you. We, we fight them. We, we, we battle up. We get combative. We begin, we, we pick sides. We say things like, oh, you must be one of those types of people, right? And so this is a word for us today. And I'm going to argue from Scripture. I hope that you'll see it too by the power of the Spirit that this is a guide for us. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a guide for us. For those of you that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because you get to eavesdrop on one of the most profound and difficult teachings that is directed at Jesus' followers. And I know we do it imperfectly. But here we go. And I, I, I want to say something, too. Um, we need to be very careful when we, when we engage in scriptures like this. And, and here's why. There, there are some cases where what we're about to talk about would not be directly applicable. And here's what I mean. Specifically in cases of abuse or assault, especially uh, spiritual, emotional, physical abuse. And just as I'm thinking about the church and as we're thinking about the church, uh, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse done by leadership. I just I want to say that that in those cases there's a lot more uh, 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 grace, wisdom, love, justice that needs to be applied in those situations. That some of the practical steps we're going to have today, please do not directly try to apply those to issues of abuse. And I, I know for a fact that there are many within our church family who have said to me or to other ministers here. I was so wounded, I was so hurt, I was so, for some, abused, I was ready to give up on church altogether. But because of what I've seen at Desert Springs and how y'all handle it, I'm going to give it one more shot. And church family, I just want to say thank you so much for extending grace to defaulting, to listening, and to, to care, and to carefully seeking the Lord when we engage these. And I, I want you to know too, and, and I, I, I'm going to say this, it's going to sound coy, but I, I, I need you to hear this. I am totally fireable. The, uh, I'm accountable to two primary groups of people um, outside of the Lord and my family. I'm accountable to our board of directors, and I'm also accountable to our elders who oversee the spiritual well-being of our church family. I, we have committed as a church family to the best of our ability 
to making sure that our leadership is held accountable. Those who are called to minister to and serve the church family, we have, we have protections and accountability structures in place. To the best of our ability, we're trying to make sure that there's, there's not abuse, and if there's accusations of abuse, we have a very strong accountability structure towards that. So I, I want you to know that I answer to uh, a plurality of leaders from within our church family. I'm totally fireable. This isn't my church. It's Jesus' church. I'm just here to serve for however long he has me here. And for those of you who, even as I'm talking about this, even as I just say the word abuse out loud, that's, that's stirring something deep within you, I, I want you to know I'm, I'm... I'm so sorry. We love you so much. Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. And this is not God. It's not, it's not godly what's happened to you. And I pray for your healing and for your connection with the Lord. And as to the best of our ability as a church family, we're trying to create safe spaces for that through ministries like Mending the Soul, through our partners with counselors and caregivers here in the valley. Um, we take it very seriously. So I want you guys to know that. So as, as we're talking today, I hope, I hope that we can, as a church family, we can nuance these things and we can learn that, you know, what, how we're going to apply these texts in wise and loving ways. And so as, as we talk about bearing one another's burdens and, and, and engaging with one another, I, I'm, I'm convinced that Paul has a very specific, uh, more um, linear uh, um, uh, relationships in mind. And I, I'd, like to, I'd like to argue uh, that you'll find this in, um, specifically in uh, chapter 5. So I, I'm not going to have it on the screen um, but this is uh, chapter 5. Let me just pull it up here. He, he's specifically talking about the works of the flesh. This is one of the ways he talks about it, and he says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Facebook, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So I don't think he has in mind here issues of that, that power dynamic of leaders doing abuse. Rather, he has in mind the linear relationships that we have as a normal part of being a church family and, and a sinning against one another. And, 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 and I, I need to tell you something. I, I know that we've had a lot of folks who are newer to Desert Springs, hundreds who have joined our church family over the last year. And I, I need you to know something that I think the, those of us who have been here for a while know. We are a bunch of misfits. We do not naturally fit together. The only thing that's binding us together is the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ, which means we have different political ideas, which means we have different ideas around our preferences, music, uh, the, the color of the drapes, the color of the carpet. We have different opinions about uh, which texts we should be preaching out of. We have different uh, opinions about the cars we should drive. We have different ideas and convictions around how to raise a family and how to uh, uh, loving, uh, um, engage in uh, loving our spouses. We, we're from all over the map with all different types of upbringings, backgrounds, preferences, and prejudice, which means I'm going to make you 100% guarantee. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to make you a 100% guarantee. I need you to hear me on this. I need you to hear me on this. I 100% guarantee that we will sin against each other. You will be sinned against by people in this church family, and I will probably be the worst offender. Because I ain't Jesus. And neither are the people sitting around you. Jesus brings us into community, doesn't he? 
And one of the things that just boggles my mind about the beauty of the church is that when Jesus brings in people, he brings us into a community, which is awesome until we discover that the community that he's put us together in is a bunch of misfits. Some of y'all are listening to country music like it's not a sin. I hate that. Why are you doing that? Repent and believe in the gospel. Seriously, we... I, 100%, so, so here's what I want to encourage you. When it happens, not if, when it happens, remember Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We're going to offend each other. We're going we're gonna to have a slight word. Sometimes we're going to do it without even knowing that we did it. But friends, I want to encourage you that there is a gift waiting for you in the reconciliation that comes when we follow Jesus together. And it's so hard The easy thing to do is run from people who make me uncomfortable. But Jesus oftentimes calls us not to the easy, wide path, but to the difficult, narrow path. And and I actually would encourage you, read your Bible. In fact, if you want to do homework, you're going to love this. Go to your Bible. uh, Start at the book of Acts, maybe chapter 2. And go all the way until uh, Revelation uh, chapter 1. And tell me, or, or, or ask yourself this question, how frequently are the authors of Scripture writing to churches saying things like this? Stop devouring each other. Stop hating each other. Stop backstabbing each other. Stop gossiping against each other. Now, let me ask you a question. You're going to find that it's all over the place. Why do you think that these biblical authors had to write that? Because Jesus, when he calls us in a relationship with him, also puts us in relationship with his church, which is a bunch of misfits. So I make you that 100% guarantee. Now, there's going to be a lot of numbers today. That's 100% guarantee. I want you to remember 100%. I want you to remember 10%. You ready? 10%. 10% of the decisions that we make it as a church, you're going to totally disagree with. Why? Because we're a bunch of misfits. You're going to say, I wouldn't have done it that way. Of course. Yes. That is a feature, not a bug. Now, 100% guarantee, 10% of the time, you're not going to, 100% guarantee you're going to be sinned against by people in this church. 10% of the time, you're not going to like, you're going to totally disagree with the decision we make. 50%. If, now I need you to lean in here. If we are our true selves with each other, and we're not just doing that like, hey, look in the church. Everything's great. If we're not doing that, if we, are our, if we are in true relationship with each other, which is what Jesus calls us to, if we are in true relationship with one another, then about 50% of the time, you're going to walk away from an engagement with members of your church family feeling frustrated, disappointed, confused, sad, Angry or just, that is a feature, not a bug. There's a gift, the distance between you and me and our differences, the, the strangeness between us. Instead of turning and running away, if we turn towards one another and greet one another, not with suspicion, but with curiosity, and we greet ourselves with curiosity and we say, why 
what, what's going on inside of me that causes me to feel this way? Why am I sad, disappointed, frustrated, angry, whatever, confused? And we go back into that relational space, both of our eyes focused on Jesus, and say, what? Tell me more about that. I want to learn more about that. In the text, let's, let's go to it. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken, notice the language, overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual restore such a person with what? Calling them out on social media may not be restoring them with a gentle spirit. Let's just talk about just this text, okay? If anyone is what? What's the language? Overtaken. Notice the language. It's almost like a deer or, or an elk whose antlers have been caught in barbed wire, right? I've, I've actually seen this. I've been hunting and, I've, I've, and seen a carcass with an elk that had been caught up in the barbed wire and it died because it couldn't get loose. And we look at one another and we see, and isn't it so easy to see the sins in other people? Come now. Yeah. And when we see that, think of the elk caught in the barbed wire. What do we want? If we, if we care about that person, what do we want for them? We want them to be disentangled. And how do you get a living elk out of barbed wire? Harshly? Violently? Aggressively? Or what? What might be a word? Gently. If I care about the person, if I love them, I'm going to seek to restore them gently. Notice it does not say seek to destroy. Could you think of anything going on in our culture right now that exhibits the opposite of this behavior? where a person is different than me, and so I have to defame them. I have to destroy them. Don't give in to it. Don't take the bait. There's a gift for you waiting in the restoration. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Tempted to what? Talk to me now. Now, I want you just to imagine someone in your life, someone in your family, someone in your church family, who you think is caught in a wrongdoing or, 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 or overcome in a wrongdoing. Tempted to what? Talk to me. Judge? Join? Ooh, we're alliterating now. Judge, join any other J... Ooh, justify. That's good. Let's keep it going. Judge, what do we do? Judge, join, justify. All right, we can break the alliteration now. What else might we, might we be tempted to do? Profit. Say it again. Profit. Profit from their pain. Yeah. What else? Hold on. Somebody over here said it. Abandon them. Oh, my goodness. Shame them. What else might we be tempted to do? Gossip about them. Oh, my goodness. And let me tell you something. For, for old school Christians who've been around for a while, there's these things called like prayer groups or prayer chains. 
I, I, oh my goodness. You cannot justify gossip by putting it on the prayer chain. Everyone, I'm just so overwhelmed right now. We need to pray for Jimmy because he's a greedy, lustful jerk. (laughs) Doesn't work that way. Right? When we are seeking to restore gently, we also have to watch over ourselves that we may not be tempted to also engage in wrongdoing. How many times right now out there in the water are we hearing basically the equivalent of, well, they started it. We're justifying meanness, gossip, slander, and deceit by saying, well, they're worse than this. They did it worse. And yet, what we discover in the text is this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore, not destroy, but restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Watch out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Mm. Okay, let's do this. Um, when you see the wrongdoing I want you, in, in somebody, right? And we're, we're tempted to abandon, ignore, justify, judge, profit. We're, we're tempted to those things. So we're going to, when you see that happen, I'm going to get you real practical here. When you see that in someone else, ask yourself this question. Is my desire to confront connected to my desire to restore? Am I seeking to restore? And if I'm seeking to restore, good, that's my motive. Is my posture and approach a gentle one? Let me ask you this question. If someone were to come to you and confront you about being caught in a wrongdoing or or overcome in a wrongdoing, how would you want them to do it? Gently. Gently. What is it? Privately. Privately. Yeah, so context matters. With compassion. TV timeout. Let me talk about that for a minute. Uh, For those of you that are thinking right now, okay, I think I'm going to confront somebody. I I just want to give you a corrective that I've tried to apply in my life. I'll do it for me. Can I see myself doing that? Because if I can't ever see myself also being overcome by that same wrongdoing, I may lack empathy when I approach them. It's easy for me to point out the sins in others that I don't wrestle with. And so when we're going to approach somebody, we're going to approach them gently, lovingly, compassionately, and oh my goodness, it's so, so, (laughs) it sucks. It's so hard to do, isn't it? Like the easy thing to do is cancel them or abandon them or just ignore the thing. And we're not to be the police of each other. We're not the morality police. But in the same way that we love this person. So we're going to gently approach them, gently have the conversation. And that takes a lot of tact, a lot of wisdom, a lot of prayer. And I'm going to strongly encourage you that it probably takes a long period of time, multiple conversations, And again, we're going to approach each other not with suspicion, but with curiosity. Help me understand where we're at with this. Help me understand where this is coming from. You're yelling all the time. 
Have you, have you noticed that? I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're Italian. Maybe I don't, right? My wife's Italian, just to heads up everybody, right? But we're going to approach with curiosity, and then we're going to sing to gently restore, right? Because the wrongdoing that's overcome them is, is, is hurting them. Now, here's the jam. So far, we've been talking about you being the one doing the correcting. Now we're going to go hard in the paint, and this is the part of the sermon I hate. How will you receive correction? What if, what if you're the person? See, see, most of us, at least for me, I like to read this, and I think of myself as the one who is spiritual. Y'all, I get paid to be a Christian, all right? Right? What I don't oftentimes assume is that I'm the person who's overtaken. But I ain't Jesus, which means that I, I might be. I'm going hard on the paint. I don't do this to make anybody angry, but... How will you respond when someone says to you, I see this in your life, but maybe they don't do it as tactfully? I have a list of things that I've been called, and maybe some of you have too, so just hold on to your hats, kids. Greedy, lazy, deceitful, racist, sexist, ageist, divisive, not doing well as a parent, a husband, being disrespectful, arrogant, angry, and handsome. (laughs) Not really. Others. And, and here's my encouragement to you. Though they may have misdiagnosed, ask yourself, am I really above being that? I don't like being called names. I don't like being accused. I, And I'm certainly not talking about issues of abuse where someone is doing attack or assault on you by by no means. But sometimes there may be some truth or something that the Lord is trying to show to me when another person says those things to me in good faith. Psalm 139 has been my response to... I've tried to make Psalm 139 my response my default response is crush, kill, and destroy. And I'm not Jesus, but he's still working on me, and I still sometimes default to that. So, like, I'm not the hero of this story. But I have really worked a lot to have Psalm 139 be my response when somebody accuses me or comes at me or confronts me. Search me and know me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the life everlasting. So when I'm the one who who someone else perceives as the one overcome by the wrongdoing, when I'm in that category, I believe that the right response is, you know what, maybe I don't think I'm that way, but I'm definitely not above it. And so, Lord, search me and know me. Because here's the deal. They may have misdiagnosed, right? Like, they may not be a pro. They may not even know me really well. 
But instead of defaulting to powering up and destroying them, I want to just take a moment, reflect, look inside and say, Lord, you search me and know me. What I fear we too often do when someone comes at us and says, I'm, I'm, <laughs> here's what I see in you, is that we just begin to try to justify ourselves. No, I'm not. Why? Well, you did it first. Well, have you seen the other people? They're way worse than me. What would your life be like if, Lord, search me and know me. See if there is any crooked way within me and lead me to the life everlasting. You know, my, my um, wife and I, we've known each other for a little while. And uh, we have this thing that I've discovered where my wife, and I, I do this back to her too, she'll say something and I'll argue with her about the validity of the thing. This is maybe, have you guys ever seen this before in your friendships, in your marriage relationships, right? And someone, some very wise person told me, look, Caleb, if you love her and she says there's a problem, even if you can't see the problem, even if you don't understand the problem, even if you think there's not a problem, if you love her, if she says there's a problem, what? There is a problem. And when someone who loves me in good faith comes at me, even if I don't see it, even if I don't understand it, even if I don't believe that it's there, if they say that there is a problem, if I love them and trust them, there may be a problem. This is, is everyone excited about this? As I am? This is thrilling, right? We all came to church saying, I hope he gives us some good financial advice. I want you to hear these words. Okay? Take a big deep breath in. I want you to just think through everything we've talked about so far. And I want you to think about the people that make you go, Aah! and the differences in your lives. And I want you to hear these words. Carry one another's burdens. When, when we are in relationship with each other and we are our true selves with each other, all your imperfections and all my imperfections, we carry that, don't we? I have to care. If I'm going to be in real relationship with you, I have to carry the difference between us, don't I? Like, like I have to be at dinner with you and, and hear you spout that nonsense about the thing that we disagree about. And I carry that. And you suffer under me too, right? When we're in real relationship with one another, because we're a bunch of misfits bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus, we are called to enter into those relationships with a mind to bear with one another. You know that 100% guarantee I made you? 100% guarantee that you'll be sinned against by people in this congregation, and I'll be the worst offender. We carry that with each other. We bear that with each other. But here's the deal. Have you guys ever carried a heavy weight? 
And isn't it easier when you get somebody else? You guys ever moved like a washing machine? You ever done it by yourself? Any pro-level movers in the house, washing machine by ourselves? Okay, what do you do when you got to move a washing machine? You did it by yourself? Pro status. For the, for the non-superhumans in the room, what do you do when you have to move a, a, a washing machine? You ask someone to bear your burden with you. What about when you move a couch? What about when you move a couch up to a third-story apartment and have to fit it through that door that's too small? You sell the couch and get two small Ikea chairs. When we have a burden, we invite people in to carry that burden physically. But here's the deal. Let's say that you move that same couch or that washing machine uh, eight times a day for eight months. What happens to you? You get stronger, and then you can move the washing machine by yourself. You get stronger. When we bear one another's burdens, what happens to us? You get stronger. You, you become less irritable. You discover that you are able, you are more capable of tolerating the differences between us. You see, do you remember when I said that these differences between us and the disagreements between us and the arguments between us is a feature, not a bug? Do you remember I said that? It's not something wrong with the church. Let me ask you this question, and then we're going to take communion together. Do you think Jesus is smart? Do you think Jesus is the boss of the church? Jesus is the boss of the church, and he's super smart. And do you think Jesus loves you? Friends, Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. And do you think Jesus wants you to grow and to mature? Do you think he wants you to be healthy and joy-filled? He does. And look at what he's done. He's put us together with people that are nothing like us for the ultimate end of increased joy, increased maturity, increased Christ-likeness. If we were all just the same and all perfect, there would be no growth, would there? But that heavy lifting of bearing one another's burdens, notice what he says this. Oh, I love this. And then we're going to take communion. Watch this. Oh, excuse me. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will do what? Tell me. What's the law of Christ? He says it in the previous chapter. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is this. Excuse me, it was in chapter 4, I believe. This is the law of Christ. Love one another. How do you fulfill the law of Christ within the church when these people are frustrating, when they say things that are disappointing, confusing, anger-enriching? How do we love our neighbor or our fellow church member as ourselves? We seek to confront gently with the ultimate aim of restoration. And we do this. We bear one another's burdens. So the next time that you walk away from an engagement with a member of your church family and you feel frustrated, sad, disappointed, angry, confused, whatever, or just, ah, remember this. You're bearing their burden. And what we want for them is not their expulsion or their destruction. What we want for them is their restoration. And 
when someone comes at us, we say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there is any crooked way within me and lead me to the life everlasting. And we suffer under it too. I'm going to ask the band to come out. We're going to take communion together. And so for those of you who are in the room, if you would please grab the elements and remove the bread from the top and then open up for the juice. Uh, for those who are in the bay or near the back, there are uh, community elements available on the tables um, in the back for you. For the, those in the room, I believe they're in the back to the seat in front of you. And for those of you joining us online, if you would please grab uh, some bread and wine or juice or uh, any elements that you have available to you to represent the body and blood of Jesus. When Jesus met with his disciples the night that he was betrayed, he ate a meal with them. It was the Passover meal. And Jesus was seated with his followers who were a bunch of misfits. They didn't belong together, apart from the fact that Jesus called them together. And there at that meal, Jesus led them through what we now call communion or Eucharist or Lord's table, where he took the bread and he took of the wine and he instituted something for them in which they would remember their union with him. That his body had been broken for them and his blood had been shed for them. But notice that it was a communal activity done by a bunch of people who don't naturally fit together. When Jesus brings us to himself, he also brings us into his family, and his family is messed up. And when we take communion, we remember our union with him, and check this, and we also practice in taking it together, our union with each other. So I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do. Look around the room, please. We're from all different walks of life, all different perspectives, all different backgrounds, all different prejudices and preferences. And yet look at what Jesus has done. He's brought us together. And so as we remember as a group, as we collectively as a church family take of the bread and of the juice, we do so as a family, not just a bunch of isolated individuals, but as a family, remembering his goodness and his grace. And so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and eat? In the same way he took of the cup, saying, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take and drink? Lord Jesus, we love you. We know that you love us and that you have called us into your church family with a bunch of people who are not like us. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to bind us together in unity, not uniformity, that you would grow us into mature faith. And as we engage with one another, as we recognize the differences between us, Lord, would you give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, 
the power and capacity to seek restoration, to practice gentleness, to walk in step with your spirit. That we would be loving, joyful, peaceful, humble, patient. That we would be sober-minded, having an appropriate view of ourselves, an appropriate view of you and one another. Jesus, we live in tumultuous and combative times. You know this. May we be your light in this community to show the Jesus way, which leads to health and joy and your glory. We ask these things, Jesus, knowing that you love us and that you're powerful to bring them about. And so we entrust ourselves to you. Amen. Church family, together, would you stand and let us sing in conclusion?